Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Fistful of Truth with me, your host, Delara Essengill. You can find me daily on my blog at www.delaraessengill.blog, and you can find me daily on this podcast. A Fistful of Truth is available to you on a web browser. The preferred way of listening would be coming to anchor.fm forward slash delara-essengill, and the link to the podcast is obviously here in the podcast description, as well as on Spotify. Um, you don't have to have the Spotify paid app to do it. You just go to Spotify, type in a fistful of truth, and you can find every episode since I've been um, doing this podcast. This podcast is only made possible by the listener support that's coming in. So thank you people for stepping up and helping me through this difficult time. Uh, the listener support links are located here. You can also do a uh, PayPal donation if you want to do like a one-time donation or so forth. There is a PayPal link and thank you to all of the PayPals as well. If you think about how much your cable, your cabal controlled cable it cost at one point, hopefully you've disconnected all of it. Um, you know, 100, 125 to almost 200 bucks. Sometimes people are paying um, a small donation of 99 cents a month or $5 a month keeps people like me going. Um, anything more is even appreciated as tomorrow is my final bankruptcy hearing. Yep. That's right, folks. <laughs> Living on a prayer, giving up everything to tell you guys the truth and bring to you a fistful of truth and not a fistful of lies because that's what got us into this predicament in the first place. So thank you for keeping your mind open, your belief patterns open, and not subscribing to controlled narratives. I want to make that really clear. There's two types of controlled narratives. One is a black hat controlled narrative out there vying for your mind. A lot of patriots disguised, um, black hats disguised as patriots infiltrated from the beginning of this movement as we've come to know from Q and as soon as POTUS took office of force and before these guys were out there to you know the devils after your mind so use discernment watch who you follow and remember who do you listen to because there is a white hat controlled narrative out there too uh if you if you even if you are hearing or seeing you know channels or information from people that are being if you want to call it endorsed um, or even promoted by people that you trust and they're giving you controlled drip information to control your psyche, to basically control the un, the very programmed masses that need to be handheld. And this information needs to be dripped to them oh so slowly. So if you subscribe to a narrative where you're hearing somebody never mention anything about aliens, draconians, these skin suits that these creatures are living in, and talking about pretty much everything that we're talking about here on this podcast on A Fistful of Truth and other channels that I trust and like, like um, from Maria Bernardis or um, Linda Paris. I mean, Linda Paris has tons and oogles of truthful, uncontrolled narratives and uncontrolled truth coming to you daily. So subscribe to an uncontrolled narrative and come on over to A Fistful of Truth and thank you for being a truth seeker and a non and a patriot who cannot be controlled and seeks the truth and nothing but. So today is November 11th, 11-11-21. Happy Veterans Day to all of the servicemen and veterans in this country. Without you guys, we don't have a country. So take some time today to honor those in your life that have sacrificed lives, sacrificed time, sacrificed health, sacrificed families. The biggest sacrifice of all are those who have taken up uh, their duty as our military and defended our country and are still defending our country. And there's a lot of military out there, folks. Their military is in control. In fact, I'm going to be uh, seeing some of my military friends later on um, the next few days who will probably give me some amazing information. I will be relaying it to you. But trust in the fact that the military is in control. And I'm going to have updates that nobody has um, that's nobody giving, no one's giving you. In the next few days, me, uh, Linda, and Maria, we have all been working on bringing you live, uh, well, live when we're taking it, footage from what's really going on, but I'm also going to have some military intel that I will pass on to you guys, so stay tuned. Today is Throwback Thursday, and we have a very special series for the next, uh, I hope, a bunch of Thursdays from a very special patriot and veteran. So thank you, Mr. Sergeant, retired LAPD officer, Sergeant Mike Fanning. Thank you for your service, first of all, sir, and your dedication to humanity, your integrity, and your intelligence. One of the most intelligent and 
wonderful human beings that I have ever met. Um, I'm very honored to have him here with us on the show. I'm very honored to have his story being told as uh, all of you guys are going to get to hear it along with myself, although I know uh, pieces of it. We're going to get to hear it being told for the very first time on A Fistful of Truth. This next segment that we're going to be featuring Mike on, so he's going to be up next here, um, is the first time this is being aired. And often we hear about police corruption. We hear about police infiltration, especially in this movement. We've realized how much corruption and infiltration there really has been. Personally, from my level, I have seen it with my own eyes. And one day I'm going to open my mouth and tell all the stories, but not yet. Um, right now I'm busy doing other things, but that information too will come out. Um, there, I have been witness to, I witnessed to a lot of police corruption in my career. And I know other people that worked in law enforcement with me, uh, amazing uh, law enforcement officers. You know, there, there's the good, there's the bad and the ugly. So, you know, there, there is the good. And I align myself with God and those who align themselves with God stand with the good and the bad and the ugly have no chance at all whatsoever. But Back to our guest uh, today, Sergeant Mike Fanning is here and he's going to be telling us a story from the eyewitness uh, testimony of his own experiences uh, as an officer that started out in LAPD, um, became a sergeant and then moved on up the ranks of the uh, of his career and um, worked in various fields of law enforcement and you're going to hear all about that directly from him. He's going to be divulging and explaining to us. He's very well-educated, folks. He's, he's extremely well-spoken, very well-educated, and has a lot of information. And I'm going to be having Mike back every Thursday for Throwback Thursday, taking us back to, in his experience, the 1970s. But I'm sure he's going to be giving us some history that comes before that. Because like I've said, he's very well-educated. He's researched this quite a bit. And his whole life has been dedicated to... Uh, making wrong right. And I'm so proud to have him here today because you're going to hear about how from LAPD to up the ranks, Marxism, communism, and you know this Luciferianism and, and basically all this crime that we are learning about today, this infiltration by this dark, dark agenda, dark to light, um, how, how he saw it and how he was uh, witness to all of this. So probably one of the most interesting things we're going to hear one of the most valuable stories we're going to hear and welcome to a fistful of truth sergeant mike fanning it is an honor to have you here sir well welcome welcome mike to dark to light on a fistful of truth thank you for joining us today hi delora thanks <laughs> this is our second round, folks. We we wanted to make sure the volumes were right because you guys hear what happens on all these lovely podcasts with the interference, but we're going to get through it. So if there is an interruption, we already agreed, Mike and I, that we would just, uh, you might hear an interruption, you may not. Hopefully we'll just be able to get through this podcast. So welcome. Um, I know you have so many stories. Uh, we have so many things we could talk about. So just before you start, I want to let the audience know that we will probably be talking with Mike again and, um, Consider it a mini-series that has no ending, folks. <laughs> so why don't you – I don't really want to ask you anything because you, you have so many things you, we could talk about. Um, I know you, we had a few points we discussed, but please just take it away. <laughs> okay. Well, um, for the, um, the interest of uh, the, uh, your audience, um, our American uh, deplorable audience – uh, concerned with the, uh, the circumstances in our nation. Um, I would uh, represent to you uh, that um, I've, I've been a Los Angeles police officer. Um, and after 9-11, <clears throat> I, I also worked as uh, in, a, in a general category uh, that you might recognize as something called a U.S. contractor. Mm-hmm. both here uh, in the country and overseas, uh, where I spent four years in Afghanistan. But to uh, to go back to when I was a young man, um, just after joining the National Guard and, and doing my uh, initial training, I came back to Los Angeles, where I was born and raised, and uh, made the decision to apply to the Los Angeles Police Department, which was hiring at the time. And I applied and I was uh, accepted 
and went through a, uh, a four or five month long academy in the, uh, the first part of 1970. And I then spent the remainder of the next 23 years uh, as a uniform patrol officer, training officer, and a, a field sergeant working in uh, what generally is called downtown divisions of uh, Wilshire Division Southwest, which is by the Coliseum in USC, down in um, what is the, the LA Times likes to call South Central Los Angeles, um, which is journalistic code for high crime rate of <laughs> African American um, occupied uh, areas, uh, which I always thought and all my fellow officers thought were just regular normal American citizens who uh, were living their lives in the, in the neighborhoods and in the uh, conditions in which they were born. <clears throat> so uh, over the, when I joined the department in 1970, there had been a, um, a program that had just been completed. It was called a Jacobs survey, which was part of what I began to realize and officers in my generation began to realize was the federal government's agenda to modernize police work and take it away from being proactive uh, and to be more um, pacifistic, shall we say. And you can see in the last year or so what, what uh, community-based policing, that form of pacifism, which is actually institutionalized socialism for law enforcement was uh, constructed to accomplish. Back when I started in 1970, uh, law enforcement across the country was being uh, conducted in the, in the standard and I would say the moral uh, foundations of which it was uh, there to do in the first place, which was uh, you have uh, citizens, you have criminals, you have innocent people, you have laws, and you have law enforcement uh, in its various uh, makeup of sheriffs and marshals and, and uh, police officers with their various ranks and their various functions, uniform and detective, all around the country, um, looking for um, the uh, suspects who committed crimes against innocent people day in and day out. And the way that was done uh, was the object of, of the Jacobs survey, which was this modernization of law enforcement, particularly of LAPD, which was then followed suit around the country, was uh, to change how police officers would, would be um, a proactive, what is now called proactive. Basically, we went to work every day and we went out and we looked for bad guys. It's pretty simple, you know. And and uh, human behavior is what you uh, deal with. We all deal with. In a politicized atmosphere, you put a badge and a gun and a uniform on. All of a sudden, now, uh, <clears throat> what the what the rest of the human race deals with, seeing and interacting with, hearing, conversing, and or maybe even being victimized by your fellow human being is somehow or another a, um, a Marxist tactic of what's, uh, that, that uh, is called profiling, which is code words for racism, institutional socialized, institutionalized uh, racism. And of course, it only involves white police officers and perhaps some uh, Hispanic officers. It's complete nonsense. It's a guilt trip. And it all stems from the, um, uh, the initiation into American culture of cultural Marxism that came from Antonio Gramsci, who was the, uh, the third highest ranking member in the Bolshevik Revolution uh, in Russia from 1917 to 1929. And Trotsky and Lenin got tired of listening to Gramsci say that it was not necessary to militarily occupy all the countries in the world in order to achieve the communist objectives. Uh, his argument was that you could occupy these countries uh, more easily uh, by, uh, by using uh, psychological warfare and all of the various instruments that uh, 
it would uh, be able to use to gain the, the, the mind cooperation of, of the populations in, in any of these countries. So he was uh, ejected from the Soviet Union. He ended up uh, getting captured uh, back in his native country of Italy and imprisoned for five years by uh, Benito Mussolini. And during his time in, in captivity, in prison, uh, he began corresponding with like-minded communists in Europe, primarily in uh, Germany. And after his release, he went to, um, that's going to, See, I have to remember this name. Um, he went to a city in Germany and, and uh, began to formulate this program of cultural Marxism, which we know in the United States as political correctness. It's been renamed <laughs> because you wouldn't want the people who are putting that, that program in, into action, you know, your principally your media in the country, which are notoriously members of the Communist Party or, or like-minded people. Sometimes they used to be called fellow travelers. Hmm. Politically, we don't call Marxists, or we haven't until Donald Trump uh, came on scene. We don't call Marxists communists or anything like that. We just call them left-wing people, you know, because the right-wing, which is the other way for the simple-minded American public, which is thought to be simple-minded by the media and by the people who, who lord over this, this new world agenda that has been... Um, uh, brought upon us over, over our lifetime, no matter how old you are, you know, and I'm in my 70s, so it's been going on for a long time uh, to to control the, the nation uh, and get it away from being more patriotic, more moralistic, and uh, thinking that we had a right to our own country, which includes all of the hot-button political uh, initiatives that President Trump uh, was in support of such as our borders and securing them and, and being able to con uh, control um, all, of, all of the evils that were coming across there, such as human trafficking. So uh, in 1970, as I was a young police officer, the police department was comprised of the officers uh, from the 50s and the 60s, not just because they had been in the wars and come back and, and uh, found, uh, found employment in law enforcement, but because of a mindset that was there in America at the time, which itself was being um, uh, as forcefully as possible worked against by the left, by the Marxists in the media and the, in politics, uh, to try and steer away for the general population to be aware that there was in fact an embedded enemy in the United States uh, cultural system. So uh, the, the officers <clears throat> in, the, in the police department that I joined, some had been recruited into the Communist Party by the, uh, the former chief of police at the time, uh, William H. Parker. And Parker uh, particularly put one man into the Communist Party uh, while he was still in the uh, police academy as a recruit officer. His name was Saul Monroy. This occurred in 1955. Chief Parker uh, came on to the, uh, the PT field where all of the physical training was being conducted there in Elysian Park. And he uh, walked to the uh, PT field and found Officer Monroy, uh, called him to attention, took him for a little walk, asked him if he enjoyed being a police officer. And this, this young recruit officer was amazed that he was being called out as a, uh, from his classmates to, to have this question asked of him. And of course he said, yes. And uh, the next thing that was said to him was uh, Chief Parker informed him, well, good. Because as of now, you're no longer going to be a uniformed police officer of this department as of now you are going to be uh, sent into uh, in an undercover capacity to the Communist Party USA, which since the dawn of the internet, you can look up their website. It's not all that revealing, but it's cpusa.org, Communist Party USA.org. They've been in existence 
in the United States prior to the Russian Bolshevik Revolution that took place in 1917. As a matter of fact, they were the key component. Mike? We're gonna we're gonna cut here, folks, and we're gonna start over. We're gonna continue. Okay, we're back, and I wanted to remind you the last thing that I heard and the audience heard before they heard me going, Mike. Mike, was you said the Communist Party uh, before the CPUSA.org? Obviously, you said it existed in the U.S. prior to the um, the Russian uh, Bolshevik Bolshevik situation there. So. That's where we last left off with you, and I'm going to hand it back to you. Okay. Sorry for the interruption. There was an incoming call that I had to um, uh, disconnect from. Oh, I thought it was just Anchor and and the life of my digital world here. So it doesn't matter either way. We just keep going. Okay. All right. So the uh, Bolshevik Revolution that took place in Russia in 1917, um, the the primary individuals who carried out the – that whole entire event were members of the communist party USA that came from uh, Manhattan Island in one of the um, suburbs of uh, New York city that were American communists. And that had been in, in their uh, organization since uh, prior to 1905 and communism in the world from the time of Marx was attempting to pop up and take over countries around Europe um, up to and prior to World War I and in the interim between World War I and World War II. But as far as uh, this conversation is concerned, um, the the attempt to infiltrate the Communist Party in in the city of Los Angeles was well underway in the 50s, 60s, and was going to continue on and being handed off to uh, Officer Saul Monroy, whose only objective was that, and I'm quoting what he told me directly in person in 1975, when I first had the opportunity to meet him, was Chief Parker told me, you're going to have to go find a a job in the uh, private sector. Your police salary will be uh, uh, invested for you. Uh, for the entire 20-year term of of your effort to be undercover in the party. And you will uh, keep records and transmit all of the information about party activities back to Public Disorder Intelligence Division of the Los Angeles Police Department, which he he did faithfully for the next 20 years. Wow. Now, the, um, the effects of that were felt all throughout the United States, because while the FBI had a somewhat deserved back then, somewhat deserved reputation of being the uh, sharp end of the spear of anything anti-American, <clears throat> from the time that Senator Joseph McCarthy's hearings on un-American activities in the Senate in the early 1950s began to fall on hard times because the infiltration of the Marxists in the American political system, which involves the media, education, entertainment, and politics, and law, was already gaining the upper hand. So by 1970, the the counterintelligence operation that was being run by LAPD into the Communist Party with Detective Monroy, because he eventually came out as a sergeant and and became a detective later on after he finished his 20-year tour in the party, uh, managed to accomplish an amount of of intelligence information of people, the things that they were involved in, the political organizations, the cultural organizations, uh, and the nexus and the connecting points of, as we say, connecting all the dots throughout the country And so when an ordinary person would be watching, say, a a well-known politician from any particular state or a journalist or a um, some religious leader, uh, they were actually listening to someone who was a member of the Communist Party USA. And sophisticatedly, the messages 
of getting out cultural warfare, class struggle, was constantly been ongoing in our country ever, ever since and in our entire lifetimes. And it continues on today. Now, what I began to learn as a, as a police officer was that communism was not our only enemy. There were other forces of secret societies and directly into the occult uh, that uh, oversees inventions and mechanisms like communism that seek to destabilize countries that are attempting to be moved into a certain political and cultural environment, which we now call the New World Order, where nations' sovereignties are going to be destroyed and replaced by trade agreements and um, constitutional processes that, entreat, that uh, enshrine treaties that would have to be agreed to by the, the, the nation's body, like a Congress in the United States or some other country. Those are all being bypassed by political elected leaders who are uh, put in place, who use executive powers to step around those things. And it's become common practice incorrectly, but it's been common practice politically in our country for probably the better part of the last 50 years to ignore the constitutional procedures in favor of um, national security and the interest of national security for the United States. These things come from the, um, the agendas that are brought into the White House uh, by the National Security Council. And the National Security Council is, is um, staffed with people from the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, to name but a few, uh, that are globalists, and they seek to destroy uh, especially the United States' uh, grip on being world leaders for the sake of capitalism and uh, what we used to call egalitarianism in this country. In other words, you have a normal life. So when I joined as a, to be a police officer, it ended up becoming far more complicated and far more interesting and because I had an interest in uh, finding bad guys, I didn't, I didn't eliminate what level or what strata of uh, criminal I could find my interest in. So towards the, uh, towards the end of my career, we saw that the, um, there was an uptick in these political groups, which we will call Marxist leftists, uh, coming against the, the police for any kind of police activity that involved um, uh, people in, in uh, high crime rate areas, which would be, you know, American Negroes. <clears throat> Having worked in South L.A. and been around the American Negro population almost all of my entire police career, I can tell you that American Blacks are are, are good people. They're family oriented, they're God fearing, and they're the first recipients of the crime uh, that occurs in their area. But when the news media, uh, which are the instruments of uh, one of the first rungs of, of putting out cultural Marxism uh, in the media every day, com commenting about uh, criminal activity and ongoings in the cities, is that they put a spin on it so that it seems as though the people who are being arrested are being uh, brutalized and are being uh, uh, unjustly uh, targeted as, as being suspects of crimes. And what we see today is that their success of taking over this country from within, which is part of what's been known in, in worldwide communism as the long march through the institutions has been ongoing and they're very, very successful. They can do it so much easier today, especially with technology, because it takes, um, it takes maybe 10 minutes to get the whole world aware of something that occurs in one part of the world and never used to be able to be this way. Um, news stories that, that I, I lived through of, of uh, crimes that took place in Los Angeles uh, back in, during my career between 1970 and 1993, most of those were things that would never make 
any section of the Los Angeles Times, let alone uh, national news media, but because now they're being spun into some larger picture and some, some larger political objective, <clears throat> we, we now see that um, the events of Ferguson, Missouri, uh, what those could lead to when, when um, manipulated by the media for all the wrong reasons. And we find ourselves at this stage in, in our country where the uh, very clearly the, the other side, the enemy that resides within our country is in control. And I've, um, I'm very concerned about it. After, I, uh, I, I want to I just interrupt for just one second. Um, the enemy is in control as far as uh, what has been going on up until now. But, you know, a lot of us are now seeing the uh, show being revealed. Um, I, I personally believe that the white hats are completely in control. We can go into this in another in a future episode, too, because we will have to because it'll <laughs> things will start happening. Um, but as far as the the enemy, the enemy is real. And everything you've set up up, up to now is um, my God. I always think you should just have your own. We should have a series with you telling us all this history because you're seeing it from an inside, inside, inside perspective from your career and your life. And you actually lived these moments and you, you're, you know, you're saying this from a first person perspective, but as far as, you know, your concern, a lot of people are concerned. And the reason I stopped you to interrupt was because a lot of people are concerned. It's not just you. Um, but part of what we're doing here on a fistful of truth is to, um, tune into the uh, the facts that are slowly being revealed to us as far as the um, who's really in control. So debatable, I know, on some level, but I, I sincerely believe that this is now, we're just watching what has already happened. But please go ahead, and I'm sorry for interrupting. No, that's, it's, it's part of the conversation, and it's, it's, um, it's good that you brought those points out. Uh, what's debatable... Uh, on on any level uh, for people who are of our like mind Mm -hmm. throughout the country doesn't necessarily always generate um, anything beyond some form of agreement and some form of disagreement. Correct. Uh, Where where we're at today is our country um, has split down the middle and half the country is Marxized and and their voting patterns um, those who actually do vote that are um, split along the party lines of being Democrat because it's either Democrat good, Republican bad. Right. It's, it's halfway. It's it's the country is split in half politically in terms of when they come out to to go to vote. You know the the manipulation of the vote fraud and and enhancing uh, the the turnout uh, is is just a is part of a uh, a morale de- destroying uh, factor or facet of the overall agenda to keep the Americans uh, who could take our country back from staying pretty much inside their houses and listening to the internet and watching whatever news programs they watch and not doing what people in Eastern Europe have been doing for the last couple of centuries, which is they get all upset and they go out on the street and they march on their cities, governments, and, and um, they attempt to affect a good moral-based change. Yep, yep. I agree. Okay. <clears throat> so now the, the thing that would draw it a little closer is to what, what the Marxist uh, uh, accomplishments were towards the end of my career. And I could discuss in some specific details how the, uh, the lead up to the 1992 riots was actually put together and, and, and who some of the names of uh, the party who were in city government and, uh, and, and, um, and the, um, the media and, and, and the, the church's organizations that were involved uh, that led up to, to participating and putting the riot together. Um, that would be probably the next thing that we could pop, probably sure. talk about. Let's talk about that because this story is not going to end here. Um, we're going to, pick it up where we wherever you leave off this time because i mean there's so much to this um as you know there's there's years and there's you know centuries behind that we can go into because you have amazing um knowledge and you're very you're very um 
well spoken about previously to this, like, you know, from all sorts of aspects, how we got to, to where you just started the story. But anyway, please go ahead. And then wherever you decide to leave off, we will um, call it the end of this interview. And then um, our audience and myself, I always take notes when you talk, by the way, I feel like I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a school with a teacher that I actually respect. Um, So (laughs) please go ahead. Okay. So uh, everybody is aware that uh, Rodney Glenn King got uh, arrested out in Foothill division um, uh, towards midnight of uh, sometime in 1991, I forget what month it was. At the time, I was a sergeant uh, working down in uh, Southeast Division, which is the lower half of of what used to be 77th Division, also known as Watts in South LA. Um, We, um, from the night that the altercation took place, Six hours later, between uh, phone calls that took place between uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, his Department of Justice, uh, Attorney General, and the uh, City of Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley and his assistant mayor, uh, Marco Fabiani, who, by the way, Marco Fabiani was... Uh, an appointed political figure by Bradley when Bradley was first uh, uh, elected as mayor in in Los Angeles uh, in about 1973. Marco Fabiani joined the the Bradley administration for the next 20 plus years up until the time that Bradley left office. Um, Mr. Fabiani was in file at Organized Intelligence Division of LAPD as a conciliare of La Cosa Nostra. And even though in the 40s and 50s, uh, there's movies that deal with the this uh, time period of LAPD <clears throat> where uh, the detectives were both anti-communist and uh, aggressive against removing any form of mafia presence from coming to Los Angeles, which it was already there embedded in the various uh, religious and cultural factions that organized crime mafia-based organizations exist. That effort to eliminate them, usually in the 40s and 50s, meant capturing them putting them into squad cars and driving them back across the Nevada border. That's the way it used to be done. Um, It's uh, in the movies, you know, the LA confidential. And I forget there's another movie that kind of shows, gives that, that flavor of how it used to be done. (laughs) <laughs> is you pick these bad boys up and you like a scruff of the neck and you take them across the state line and say, get out, get the hell out and don't come back. But there was too many of them, number one. And the, uh, the, the point that a high, very high ranking conciliare of La Cosa Nostra was the sitting in the in city hall, actually calling most of the shots because Bradley was too intoxicated most of the time. Uh, and and he was the one who was making these decisions. So, so this this phone conversation after King had been uh, arrested and it, the the interrogate the uh, the altercation had, had occurred out there in the street, where four officers in the midst of about twenty six officers total, the other ones stood by and watched as four officers had the harder toll of trying to get. King in custody, where regular routine street police work would have been and was being practiced still by that time in 1991, where you had people who were seriously uh, strung out on drugs and their their adrenaline was uh, uh, (laughs) popping on all speeds, that uh, every officer present would just basically gang tackle this guy 
take him down to the ground, flip him over, get him handcuffed, put him in the car, and let him go. But the institutionalized racism within LAPD, thanks to the Oscar Joel Bryan Association infecting the officers uh, throughout the department with this cultural Marxism, black versus white, bad cop versus good cop, black cop versus white cop. Division. Yeah. Mentality uh, was was in effect. And so those officers who stood by and did nothing were the ones who made that the rest turn into what it was made into looking like had taken place. Right. Okay. And so there's these distortions and the amplification of what propaganda and what the, the right. listening public is able to uh, conclude on their own, it was toast. So from midnight to six o'clock in the morning, a uh, consent decree, which requires going into court and having judges preside over matters. No, that didn't happen. It was a consent decree that uh, was signed between the federal government and um, the city of Los Angeles to allow the FBI to come out and take over management of the Los Angeles Police Department, hmm. comma, hmm. comma, and that there would be a similar takeover of all municipal law enforcement organizations around the entire United States in the ensuing year. And, and who, who, was, a, who was president at that time? Were we talking early 90s? George Bush the first. Yep. Not W, but his daddy. Right, right. <clears throat> All right. So now when this um, consent decree was, was put into effect, the first effect that it had on the department was that um, the department was sent into a lockdown of um, being required to go to attend eight-hour training sessions were all sworn officers, which amounted to about 6,300 of us at the time. That would include uniform and detective. Um, at uh, four different sites over a continuing 24-hour period of time, given the, the, the three main watches that cover the 24 hours of police service uh, for every single day. <clears throat> and the these people would come in, and I attended uh, my, my mandatory uh, uh, training session, so-called, uh, down in South LA at uh, Locke High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was about a couple hundred of us there. And this, this occurred, this training session lasted three days, 24 hours a day for three days. Jesus. At, at four different locations throughout the city so that all the department's personnel were presented this exact same uh, presentation and it was to the T exact except for the fact that the presenters were four different individuals from the FBI wearing Los Angeles Police Department uniforms bearing the rank of lieutenant. Wow. When this person got up on the stage at Locke High School and started browbeating as verbally as to all of us were responsible for what had happened to Rodney King. <laughs> the, um, we started looking around at each other and we're thinking as a, in a cop mentality, who the hell is this guy? Mm -hmm. Does anybody here know who this guy is? No mm -hmm. one knew who this guy was. And he was an FBI guy you know, presenting himself for the, presenting the, for the psychological effect of, of carrying the department saying this. It's not the FBI right, because, it, right. because he would have got he got he would have got his ass beat. ass kicked. That's why the uniform. They're all trying to psych, psych the psychology of trying to psych you guys out. Go ahead. Well, yeah, but you can't psych us out. But we were pissed off. But we were also right. under the under the gun, right? Because because the mood the mood had changed. The morale, the, the right. tide had shifted within the right. department, and and so what ended up happening was this person <clears throat> um, presented the uh, this initial thesis of what underpins community policing, which is not your oath of office, not the laws that are on the books, but the people who employ you tell you what they want you to do as a police department. That's the essential premise of community policing. Mm -hmm. And in the last 30 years that it's been around, it has led to the destruction of all of the expertise, the criminal expertises 
that right. exist that could exist that used to exist with fellow with officers on the street to know how to identify criminality in all of its various forms is a very complex job and 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 to uh, be a good street police officer you had to have a, a, a an enormous an enormous amount of knowledge that you would use to be able to spot the the actions of criminals while they're in the process of driving up and down the street uh, uh, mixed in with all of all this, the innocent people who are going their, their, their daily chores of shopping and picking kids up to school and back and forth to work and all that. Okay. I remember, I remember that in my education, Mike, I I remember um, it being pointed out to us in my education as an attorney in the legal field from the prosecutor's side, um, how detailed and how scientific um, in addition to like having, having to have instincts, you know, like you do, um, how scientific it was and the amount of detail police had to go through because we had to study what you guys had to study so that we knew to look for the right procedure and we didn't get all of it, but I'm just saying and validating what you're saying. So the audience knows it was hard, but go ahead. Well, it's hard, but it's also immensely enjoyable. And, and it's right. also, it's well, also fun been... to be driving around at hundred miles an hour all night long, <laughs> chasing guys over fences and, and getting shot at, you know, oh my God. You know, not but, for me, but, not for well, me. but, but, but that was it. what used to right. police the right. cities around the country, right. you know, where there were people that, who, who knew hunter and hunted the hunted always is going to be this hunter. He, he's always, he's always going to be the hunter. He's always going to be the criminal. He's mm-hmm. not going to change his spots. No. None of these, none of these, the do-gooder hand-slapping jobs of, of, of social justice uh, that the, the government or, or uh, these, these leftist organizations in our lifetime have tried to pose on this country, impose on this country. Um, they, they don't change the lifestyle of the criminal. No. It's only, it's only modifying the behavior of the hunted. And you have to remember that. So if you, if you detune the hunter Right. You, all you people out there in suburbia and and wherever you live, you're screwed. Right. You know, you you have no one else there to um, to come to your aid that can figure things out that understand your your looks and your expressions as you as they're driving past you on a city street and you're actually there trying to point out the fact that your store is being robbed. But these cops that drive down these streets today, they don't see any of that. They're not allowed to. They, they've never learned how to do it. They don't know what to do if they are thrown into the midst of it, which is why you see these, these enormously bad tactical shooting situations that they get themselves involved with. A police officer used to, when he raised his voice, <laughs> it was with command and control of a situation. And all you see today is these, these police officers uh, they're 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 whining, they're panicking, they're 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 screaming, they're out of control, and that those suspects understand that. The suspects right. sitting there going, oh, "I've got to lose it out here. I could take this guy apart six ways to Sunday." Right. But every time that happens, the neighborhoods are 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 the ones who are are the the recipient of a, of that defeat. Right. That's the pace exactly. Okay. Yes. So now this is what was going on with the objective to take Los Angeles with this cooked up Rodney King event, because the, the event itself, Rodney King getting stopped and arrested uh, and it turning out the way it was, was, was the end product of the news media, especially Channel 4, KNBC in Los Angeles, going out and coordinating with the uh, the. the the a man by the name of um, <clears throat> I can't think of his name right now. Was he in television? No, he was. A, he was a uh, Hawthorne Police Department officer, and he was off on on uh, stress. He was oh. very stressed out working Hawthorne <laughs> Police Department as a black militant police officer. Don Jackson. His name was Don Jackson. And Don Jackson was part of the Oscar Joel Bryant Association that I spoke of that had been Marxized 
-hmm. They took over a, an outstanding heroic black police officer who had been killed as a consequence of the injuries sustained while he was trying to stop a robbery in progress at a Los Angeles, uh, South Central Los Angeles liquor store owned by African Americans. You know, and it, that kind of a benevolent organization that honored his honored his service that was put together by the police department of all the racial entities that were in the police department that existed um, was done because they loved that officer. They didn't hate him. They didn't abuse him. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't try to calculate a political gain uh, because uh, he was black. No, it was genuine. It was sincere because we're all blue. You know, we all right. brothers. Right. So it's like soldiers. Yep. And, and officers, they go to war, okay? The war that has been raging in this country uh, that, that is the crime increase in, in the various decades, especially in the 50s and 60s and the early part of the 70s, was a direct, direct um, implementation of Chairman Mao Zedong's cultural warfare revolution throughout the world. The Black Panthers... Mm -hmm used and the nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan and before yep. him, Malcolm yep. X, they used Chairman Mao's little red book. Yes, they did. And they get 501c3 tax exempt IRS status as a religious <laughs> organization, the, the nation of Islam does. The nation of Islam under Louis Farrakhan was... Um, received a $5 million check from Muammar Gaddafi after um, Pan Am flight uh, over Lockerbie was shot down. It was not shot down, it was blown up. And, and President Reagan went over and uh, dropped some, uh, some missiles on uh, Gaddafi's uh, palace and killed uh, one of his kids. Gaddafi uh, sent $5 million over that was intercept not intercepted but the but the act of the wire the, the the money being transferred over to Farrakhan and the phone conversation that took place attached to that that check was uh, to find the the means and all the logistics to carry out what became the first attack on the World Trade Center Wow now there used to be wow a, there used to be an ongoing LAPD wiretap that existed from organized crime and public disorder intelligence divisions out of, out of LAPD uh, over to Mayor Bradley's office. And they used to routinely tap all of the phone calls that came in to Bradley from uh, whatever sources. So there were the ones that were Chief Gates personally told me and were one of my former partners personally told me they had intercepted calls from, from Louis Farrakhan talking to Tom Mayor Bradley, about um, you know how things are going, what their their actions, their initiatives were, and where they were standing. You know what what maybe Bradley needed to do to help matters along. So when it came down to um, this uh, this uh, after action of uh, King being arrested and after the altercation and how it was going to be stage managed, the events began to be put into place. Um, for the riot. And I, I was working as a patrol sergeant in uh, Southwest Division in 91 and, and uh, just prior to 92 uh, before the riots took place. And I saw all of the Revolutionary Communist Party uh, literature being uh, passed out throughout the gangs, uh, gang areas. You could see it posted on, on uh, telephone poles, and you'd see it in a lot, a lot of different venues down in South L.A. talking about the upcoming riot. I then had a, uh, a friend in the private sector who uh, was a book publisher on matters that uh, deal with uh, the topic of conspiracy and political <laughs> intrigue. Mm -hmm. And he had um, uh, made contact uh, with a, uh, the private underground bookstore operated by the Communist Party USA in Los Angeles. It was located down on in the uh, 6,000 block of, 
of Western Avenue. And he went in there one day looking for a particular picture of Marx and a particular picture of Lenin. And um, this man was very, burnt out looking. He was old. Uh, he had a scraggly beard. He didn't comb his hair. He was partially balding and he, he kind of looked like a nutty professor. Is this the bookstore owner? No, this is, this is my friend oh. <laughs> uh, who, who published these, these books. And, and he was looking for a particular picture of Marx and Lenin. And so he went in there, he's walking around and the man came out from behind the back room and noticed he had a customer in the store, uh, asked you know, how he could help him. The man misread my friend and he misread him to the point of thinking that he was a fellow communist or a fellow Marxist, you know, just, <laughs> you know, one of us. And, and so he took him in the back room and the, the specific picture that he was looking for, he actually had in a book and he made it available for my friend. Uh, and they did a little transaction on that. But then he, before he left, he was asked, well, by the store owner, or the book owner, bookstore owner, um, are you attending this year's uh, fundraising event uh, at the Sheraton Hotel in, in Santa Monica? And my oh. friend, his name is George. Um, he he, uh, he said, no. He goes, oh, well, you, would you like to be invited? And George said, well, sure, of course. And, and so he goes. Oh, gosh. And, and, and this, this annual fundraising for the local um, uh, part of the Communist Party out in the West, which was called the West, uh, the Western Province of, of uh, CPUSA, it, at the, uh, the this in, this fundraising event was people like uh, I think you remember this guy Mark Ridley Thomas. He just got re- recently arrested as a for some by the FBI of all people, the FBI oh, wow. arrested Mark for uh, corruption. Huh. Uh, that's in the news here in, 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 in Los Angeles uh, at, the, at its present time. But back in 91 and 92, in the summer of 91, at this fundraiser for the party, um, people like Mark Ridley Thomas and uh, uh, various rabbis and some Catholic church leaders and other Protestant denomination uh, leaders were there, members of the school board were there uh, uh, L.A. Uh, councilmen and, and uh, L.A. County co- commissioners were there. It was a who's who of, and, and the media were all there uh, to listen to the program for the implementation and the planning of all that was going to go into the riots that were going to take place after the expected verdict of, of innocent was going to be given to the four officers out in Simi Valley that following spring. So the MC of the event, remember everybody there in that room, minus my friend, were all members of CPUSA. Wow. The MC of the event was Stanley Scheinbaum. Stanley Scheinbaum was at that time the president of the Los Angeles Police Commission, appointed Unreal. by appointed by Mayor Tom Bradley. This is like a really bad movie. <laughs> the the second the second person, the wow. co the co host was Melanie Lomax, who was the former Los Angeles Police Commission president, and the police commission sits on top of above and it has more authority than the chief of police. And this is ninety one still. Yes. So. So this is a war and the civilian population is out here cutting their grass, drinking their beers, watching their videos, Uh you know, and finding the next babe they're going to make love to. (laughs) All right. But all the rest of us that actually knew what was going on, knew that, that just like in a war, like in world war one and you, you know, a hundred yards away, you know, in another foxhole and another trench line is the German enemy. And we're on the other side here, the British and Americans fighting and the French are over there fighting, you know, and, 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 and you're the only ones who really know how bad this really, this situation really is. The invisible enemy means many things. It certainly, of course it does. Yeah. And when you're telling the average person, even this type of a listening audience, it's as if it's, 
it's a bridge too far. It's like, no, this I can't, I can't accept this. Well, turn inward to yourself. Go stand in front of a mirror and ask yourself, what have actually have I been doing so that I can't understand this? And if you're a deplorable, if you're a, 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 a populist, we won't even use the word Republican anymore. No, throw it out. So if you're a populist, and, and what I'm telling you seems like new and maybe a little hard to get your mind around, then you need to understand this is just, a, just scratching the surface of how bad things are in this country. And it's not just this country. I mean, I spent four years in Afghanistan. Let me tell you something. America is on another wavelength with the rest of the world. Absolutely on another wavelength. And it's not to your betterment, it's to your detriment. And that's why if you're really going to see how bad we are overcome right now with enemy elements that function in every sector of our lives, along with gutless people and feckless people. Yep. And then so you wonder why, well, I've got a lot of guns in my safe and I've got a lot of food in the garage. And (laughs) you really think that's going to help you get through this? (laughs) Really? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at what you're saying. I'm just, you painted a picture where I'm just sitting back here, you know, shoving the popcorn in my mouth and going, yeah. Look, look, I, I've, I've gone into neighborhoods down in South L.A. after a, a gang comes by and unloads with fully automatic AK-47s with 7.62 titanium shaft slugs that penetrate three separate walls of um, um, heat rock. No, cinder block, cinder block walls, cinder cinder block walls in in, in, uh, townhouse, federal housing units down there. And the people are in there and they're shaking 5, 10, 15 minutes after the gunfire has penetrated those walls. And, and, And when they see a uniformed cop walk through those doors, the dust is still flying in the air. It hasn't even settled from the ground of those bullets penetrating those cinder block walls and the impact. Those people for the first time that day and for the next maybe 15 minutes to an hour are going to feel safe for the very first time in a long, long time. And so what this government has been doing little by little in my lifetime is materially facilitating the the taking down of its own structure, its and the sovereignty of this country and the protections that we have that we thought we had, that think we that we think we still are entitled to. And those are those are illusions that should be realities. In no amount of time sitting behind a counter a, a computer screen is going to fix that. Truth. So on that note, I'm going to end, end it here just for today. We're going to end it here, but I've taken lots of notes and my goodness, the insights that you bring um, and your, your personal experience in this, I hope, uh, I hope this series starts opening the eyes of people as to what has happened, how we've gotten here because you're hearing it today. From, uh, from our friend Mike Fanning here, who is telling you the truth and nothing but on a fistful of truth. So I will announce at the end of this episode, after we close this out, when, um, when the next, when you can expect, which should be a week from this episode, but when you can expect um, to hear the rest of this amazing story from this amazing patriot. Thank you, Mike, very much for being here today. Talk to you later. Well, just wow. I mean, this is just the beginning. And thank you, Mike, for sharing all of that with us. Um, Thank you for being here. And my goodness, I mean, 
there's so much more that we're going to hear that is just going to blow everybody's mind. And really, I mean, I'm very excited for next Thursday. I'm excited for every day, but I'm really excited for next Thursday when Mike will be back to continue um, telling us exactly what he's seen and how this whole thing has transpired and been infiltrated from the very beginning. Please do keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that you are watching a show. The military is in full control. I can confirm that personally. And um, what you are seeing and what people may be having fears and doubts about of what's going to happen, don't worry. God's got this. And God is using the wonderful people like General Flynn, like Donald J. Trump, our current president. The actor Biden is just there to distract and let people work behind the scenes. And a lot of people are having, you know, still struggling with that. So uh, I know that this audience is not. So just, uh, you know, take lightly what you may hear from different guests on the show as everybody's, you know, perspective is a little different. But um, I just wanted to make sure that everybody understands that we are in the home stretch and, and the disclosure is coming very, very soon. So stay the course and thank you again for tuning into A Fistful of Truth. Tomorrow, tomorrow night, make sure you uh, tune in because tomorrow night, is called a fistful of snark. Yep, that's right. A fistful of snark with the uncontrollable, most deplorable, wonderfully beautiful, and talented and amazing patriot who is a workhorse and will never stop until the truth gets out. Linda Paris, folks. Linda Paris will be here tomorrow. Um, Friday night is called a fistful of snark. I know it used to be called movie night, but there's just so much more to snark at. You know, I was telling Linda, she should have a snarkathon, a snarkathon. I'm sure many people would participate. I would be in front row center. So join me tomorrow night with Linda Paris here on a fistful of truth, where we're going to talk about the latest that's going on with the standard hotel, um, Adam shit and, um, all these shitty people who are about to get the axe. A lot of them have already been executed and we're going to have, we're going to have a lot of, uh, great new information from you. And thank you also to Maria Bernardis, Maria Bernardis, who is my God, one of the best patriots I've ever met. So I'm surrounded by amazing, angelic, wonderful, truth-seeking, uncontrollable patriots bringing to you in unison and together a fistful of truth. So God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you guys tomorrow night where we go one. We go off.